As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Warwick Fairfax, the founder of Crucible Leadership. Thank you for joining us for episode four of our six-part series, Harnessing Resilience. I'm Gary Schneeberger, co-host of the show. Why are we dedicating so much time to focusing on this one topic? Because without resilience, there is no moving beyond our crucibles. We're having conversations with guests who found the resilience to overcome their setbacks and failures, as well as experts who offer practical insights and action steps all of us can take to strengthen our ability to rise above when the crucibles come. This week, Warwick and I sit down with 17-year-old Lucy Westlake, an accomplished mountain climber. She got started at age seven who is the youngest female to have ascended the highest peaks in all 50 U.S. states. But you can't have a peak without a valley. And Lucy also describes the low points she's faced in learning this resonant truth. The ideal way to build resilience is overcoming small failures so that when the big ones come, and they will, we have a reservoir of grit to keep climbing. Lucy, thank you so much. I mean, what you've done already is just awe-inspiring. Um, you know, being youngest woman to uh, climb the highest points in all 50 states, USA, All-American, uh, triathlete, distance runner. It's really incredible. And we're going to get into your story. But this series is about resilience. And you said this that I found apparently found very intriguing. The best way to build resilience is to try something. Maybe that sounds obvious, but a lot of us don't are fearful to do anything. So tell me, just we're going to get into details of your perspective on resilience, but at a high level, what does resilience mean to you? And talk about that whole concept of just try something, because I feel like you're an expert at resilience. You've done so many things and met so many challenges. Yeah, I've I've definitely been on a journey um, since since age seven, really, and. Even before then, I was a, I've been a runner. I started running in first grade and all of those experiences, um, every practice, every race uh, since then has, has taught me little lessons about resilience. And um, yeah, it's definitely something that's built over a lot of little, a little steps. Um, and I've, I've been ta- taking those and trying to take those. 
and um, continue to build my resilience even when there is setbacks. Um, just continuing to to build that over the past ten years, and yeah, it's it's definitely paid off um, in in many different ways. But through mountain climbing, mountain climbing is definitely a mental sport. It's all in your head. It's what you believe you can do. So I've there's been a lot of times where I'm not sure about myself or I. It's so hard that I'd rather just turn around, but, but yeah, I just, I, I keep going and it's been a lot, it's more of like a habit at this point, honestly, a habit of resilience that I've built, which I'd say is the best way to do it. And as you asked her to do Warwick, you asked her to give sort of a high level view of it. And if anybody is qualified to give us a 30,000 foot level view of what (laughs) resilience is, it's someone who has been at the top of a mountain that's, you know, more than 20,000 feet tall. So bravo. That was a very excellent way to start the show. Absolutely. I mean, when you, and we'll talk about this later, but you know, with each accomplishment, it helps build resilience. And I like that idea that resilience is a muscle and, you know, it's something that you learn and with each accomplishment, when the next challenge comes, you can say, well, remember when I accomplished those other challenges and I fought back and got through it and, you know, I can do this again. It, it, it is like a muscle or any sport. It just, you know, practice builds confidence, uh, ga- you know, being in the game builds confidence. Does that sound like, is that kind of your experience? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, if I didn't run, I wouldn't mountain climb. I, <laughs> that's, that's like the segue. I mean, I, that's taught me so much about myself and about my own limits and how to push past those limits, how to, how to persevere in that way. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. It's a bunch of little different things and it, and it's, it's not even like ways you would expect. Like there's everyday ways you have to persevere. Just getting out of bed when your alarm rings. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's hard for me sometimes. Yeah, or even the whole college search process. My kids are from 30 down to uh, 23. Yeah. Oh, make uh, sure you get that right, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> or it'll be a crucible moment for you. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but the whole college search and figuring that stuff out and yeah, it's easy to say, just take it a step at a time, but you know, we're human and, but you know, obviously you've got a lot of resilience. So I'm sure you've kind of got the game plan with your parents and friends and family, you know, you just kind of one step at a time and easy to say, but, um, I want to get a bit of the origin story behind Lucy Westlake. I mean, not everybody at your age, almost anybody, you know, wants to be a triathlete and long distance running and climb peaks in all 50 states and now the highest peak on each continent it's just not your typical dream or vision of a you know of a senior in high school so where did this desire to climb mountains and run and be a triathlete where, where did all this this vision this dream that you're living come from yeah, well, I, it's kind of funny how you were mentioning you are in northern Michigan at the moment because that's where actually um, that's where all of this kind of was born. Almost, we have a huh. me and my family have a cabin in right on Lake Superior in a little town called Eagle Harbor. That it's yeah, it's I mean you can like see Canada across the water. <laughs> there. It's amazing, and um, up there it's just wilderness all around you there's mountains there's trails um that's 
and that's what my family does every summer since since I can remember. I haven't there hasn't been a summer in my life where I haven't been up there. And that lifestyle just I've always loved it. I've, I've fallen in love with it ever since I can remember. And every actually when how I started running is that my grandpa um challenged me to who can get to the top of this mountain that we always go up first. And um and I was like, "Oh, well, the fastest way to do that is running." So, that's where that's when I started it running and ever since then uh we've been doing that every year and then my mom was like oh well you should you should run this local 5k that we have so when i was 4 i ran the the local 5k and oh my gosh i was crying the entire last mile but but i just kept going um i for some reason i had it in my head that i wanted to run that 5k so i did um even though it was a little harder than i expected at that time but um but that's where my love of running started. I th- after that I ran in first grade and second grade, third grade and now I'm a senior and I'm still running. So yeah, that's that's a sport that I've tried a lot of sports, but that one stuck with me since the beginning. I absolutely love running and it's mostly like the the mental like the side of it where i get to push myself mentally and i find a lot of just satisfaction in in pushing myself mentally and finding more about who i am um by doing that so that's that's where that love came from and also mountain climbing that's i mean that's where i started mountain climbing um as well so so just to make sure the listeners understand did you say you did a 5k when you were how old did you say was it Four? Yes. Four. Yeah. So, were, I have you ever known any other four-year-olds that did have done a five k? I mean, no. <laughs> you know, you, you might hold the world record, male or female, because you're probably maybe the only one that's ever done that in the history of the world. Maybe not. I don't know how we'll check that with the Guinness Book of World Records, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it makes me think about those videos we've all seen of Tiger Woods when he was like right. three and he was right. golfing. Everybody's like, ooh, that's so exciting. Golfing's not exactly like running a 5K in terms of physical exertion. Right. I'm voting that that Lucy's accomplishment is more uh, praiseworthy. So what do you love about mountain climbing? I mean, I guess it's all challenges, right? Mountain climbing, uh, you know, distance running. What is it you you clearly love it? You're not doing it just for records, but why is it just something that you love to do? Yeah, I I just feel like almost like most myself when I'm doing it. Like when I'm in the mountains, it's it's very peaceful up there. It's very um, you're you're really in solitude a lot of the time, um, or with just one partner or a few people and. A lot of the time, especially like on Denali, um, on bigger mountains, you're roped up um, like 30 feet away from the nearest uh, the nearest climber. So really, like there's just a lot of self-reflection that goes on in the mountains. And it teaches me a lot about about myself. And I have a chance to reflect on my very busy, chaotic life that oftentimes I don't have time to reflect on a lot. Um, and a, most of it is just how gorgeous it is up there um in the mountains i've seen so many different parts of the country just from mountain climbing and they're all they all have such unique beauty from the desert plains 
uh, the mesas, the upper northwest forest. It's all gorgeous. So that's that's why I love it. So I want to talk about uh, as you were climbing, and what, from what I understand, this journey of climbing all 50 states began at age seven in, I think, Black Mountain, Kentucky. Incredible. And then at age 13, you were climbing Denali in Alaska with your dad, and it was tough, you know, probably weather and cold and oxygen, I'm guessing. You know, 20 days you were trying to ascend, and you couldn't do that. I mean, talk about why, for a lot of people, they're going to say, okay, how many people at age 13 are going to be climbing Denali? That's not really a big setback. It's not a big failure, if you will. What's the big deal? But, but yet, it's easy to say that if you're not you and you weren't there. Talk about why that was such a challenging crucible, that time, Denali, when you were age 13. Yeah, so up to that point, me and my dad, we completed all 49 other state high points. Um and that was, Denali was the last one. Um, so that was, I was, at that point, I was like, oh, I want to try to break the record, which was 18 and something months. And I, yeah, that was like, our goal was to summit. And a lot of, a lot of time and energy and money, it's very expensive. Climbing is a very expensive sport, um, especially when we went with a guided service. So going with guides definitely cost more. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was, I mean, we had put a lot of resources into the climb, so I really wanted to summit. My dad wanted to summit. Everyone wanted us to summit. So, um, so we get on the mountain and this mountain is unlike any other one I'd done before. Um, it's, I mean, we had climbed for, for multiple days, the longest I'd been on the mountain before that was a week. Um, and that's Kilimanjaro in Africa is when we were on the mountain for a week. Mm. Uh, but, but you just, cl- I mean, they, f- you fly onto the mountain on this little glacier plane. And from then on you're on glacier. So you don't see any green for the rest of your trip. Um, and you start at 7,000 feet and you climb to 20,350 feet. And yeah, it's just, it's, a very, very challenging mountain. Some like one of the hardest in the world. Some consider it um, to be, I've heard people say it's even harder than Everest, but that's, that's depending on who you ask. I mean, Mm -hmm. it it depends on the person, personal experience, but we, so we get on the mountain and I'm 13 at the time and we're supposed to carry between our pack backpack and a sled a hundred pounds a gear. So that is, I mean, I still, I weigh about 105 pounds now. And back then I weighed about 95 pounds. So mm. I, that was extremely challenging for me. I never had to carry that much gear. Uh, so that was a huge challenge. And then the cold as well, uh, because I'm a small person. So I get cold easily anyway. Uh, just being in Chicago in the winter, I get cold. Yeah. So that's a that's a whole nother level of coldness up there. At the high on the high mountain, it can be negative twenty easily mm. um, on any given day. So so that was another battle. I didn't want to get frostbite. <laughs> um, and yeah, just the in and out. There's so much logistical um, things that go into climbing that you don't even think about. The walking for eight hours a day is just part of it. Uh, then you have to go and set up your campsite, which takes 
an hour or two and then boil your water and cook your food and make sure you're hydrated all the time, which also involves boiling water to melt snow. It's definitely, it's a process for sure. And it's, it's so demanding physically and especially mentally and emotionally. That's the hardest part about mountain climbing is the mental and emotional battle. Um, so we, we got up to, um, to high camp, our first, our first trip, which it takes, it takes about 16 to 30 days to climb Denali. Um, just, it's a very wide range depending on weather, depending on your physical ability, your resources. So we, um, we got to high camp at about 19 days. Um, and that is the, camp that's right before summiting. So we are a day away from the summit at 17,000 feet. And our guides, everyone was feeling pretty good. I was definitely, I mean, feeling good at that height is definitely relative. <laughs> um, I was <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I could barely, I could barely eat anything or um, drink anything. You just feel awful, nauseated all the time and so tired. Um, but I, we had worked so hard to get to that point. I was like, one more day. That's all I was thinking. I was like, I can do this for one more day. And I mean, I wasn't sure if I could, but I knew I had to try. I was, yeah, I wasn't going to go down without a fight. Let's just mm -hmm. say that. <laughs> so, so we're planning to summit the next day. Our guides are like, okay, get some sleep. We're, you get up at four o'clock in the morning, um, usually to, it, it depends on the day, but summit day is a long day. So you have to get up early. So our guides are going to wake us up at four and, but they come in the middle of the night and they basically say, we have to go on a rescue mission. Uh, we are called by the national park rangers because someone had been left up on the mountain. A guide had gone up with his one client and the client hadn't been able to make it back down. And so he had left him. So basically the person was going to die up there unless mm -hmm unless the national park rangers uh, got together this rescue party that included the guides basically of different, of different guide companies. So our guides are part of that. So they all went up and they found the man, but unfortunately they, uh, he didn't make it back to camp alive, mm. which was, yeah, it was, it was shocking. I mean, you do know that always know that's a possibility. Mountain climbing is a very dangerous sport. But to be that, to really see it and like be that close to death is definitely, definitely hard to do, hard to, um, hard to come to terms with. But um, after that, our guides were too exhausted to, to guide us up the next day. And then a bad weather storm came in and we just ran out of days because you only have so much food. So we had to go back down. Uh, which was, it was really heartbreaking because I had wanted to at least attempt a summit so badly. And he'd put, as I said, all this, that time, resource, energy, and money into climbing. And yeah, I mean, we hadn't reached a summit. We failed to reach a summit. So that's, that was when I kind of questioned a lot of my motives for mountain climbing. I was like, do I still want to do this? And it took me a few years to get over um, to get over that and really want to mountain climb again. And before we go to continue the journey up the summit, uh, because you did go back, 
you said something, Lucy, in the story that you just finished telling about uh, those uh, those days where you weren't able to summit that really struck me as being important for listeners to hear in this series on harnessing resilience. You said this at the tail end of all these things that kind of happened to you that led you to be there for almost three weeks, unable to summit. You said on the last day, this is what was going through your mind. These are your words. I wasn't going to go down without a fight. What I love about that, what I want listeners to hear about that is you've, you'd already been there for almost three weeks fighting, mm-hmm. right? But your spirit, your resilience, your your uh, commitment to continuing to put one foot in front of the other, to continuing to trying to achieve your goal, you saw that as, I wasn't going to go down without a fight. So many of us would have said, I fought for the first seven days. I fought for the first two weeks. I fought for the first whatever. Uh, I've been here 20 days. It's time to go. You until you were not able to move forward through, as Warwick pointed out, circumstances that were not in your control, that was when you uh, sort of gave up the ghost, as it were, on that attempt. Um, I thought, you know, that is important as we talk about resilience. The mindset you brought to that after 20 days of trying, how can I do it today? How can we do it? You know, what can we do differently? How can we go around here? We're hungry, we're tired, we're exhausted, we're emotionally spent, but you still have the attitude that you weren't going to go down without a fight. Having that fighting spirit, I think, is a, and your life proves it, your story proves it, is a, is a critical component to harnessing resilience. True? Yes, definitely true. Definitely true. Definitely taking it one day at a time, like not looking on what you've done in the past, but focusing on what you can do in the future. And if you have more in the tank, then, then giving it all for sure is a huge part of resiliency. Well, so there was one other beat to that story. I think you mentioned, you know, it was challenging to you. Something about the disappointment came later. I mean, it would be pretty disappointing at the time, but why did the disappointment come later? Yeah. So, I mean, when you're on the mountain, you don't have you don't have good food, you don't have a bed. You're it's it's a little bit of torture. I'll say right. that it's definitely a, a love hate relationship. And when you're on the mountain, sometimes you're just like, oh my gosh, get me off. So when I just got down, I was just thankful for warm food and a bed. And but then later, I when I was like reflecting on it, I was I was definitely like like the disappointment kind of hit me for sure. Right. Um, after that. And I was, um, I was like, wow, do like, is it worth going back and everything? Like, am I going to do that again? And I, it took me a few years to, to like, kind of like mentally reset. And I almost, it's almost like kind of the mountains kind of like call you back. Um, like I was, I was finally like after a year, I was like, just kind of craving mountain climbing. And when when my family, we went out West, uh, at one point about two years ago. And I just saw like, we were just driving by the mountains and I was like, Oh my gosh, I want to like, just get out of the car, like run out of the car and start climbing them. And <laughs> after, after that, I, um, I started bugging my parents to go back to Denali. <laughs> and from what I understand four years later in 2020, in the height of COVID, you went back to Denali and um, you you accomplished it. Talk about, so, you know, sometimes it takes you a few years to get over something, even when it's not your fault. But talk about 
I guess, both that decision to do it and, and how did it feel once you accomplished that goal in 2020? Yeah, yeah. It was actually, it was in 2021. It was this past okay. June that, we, okay. um, that me and my dad summited on Father's Day, actually. So you mean like not that long ago, June, we're talking mm -hmm. a few months. Wow. Yeah. And, and it was in 2020 though, right, uh, Lucy, that you were looking through your phone and you saw a picture, you mm -hmm. said, and it was like, oh, you know what? I really want to do that. And then you went back in 2021. So 2020 was kind of yeah, when yeah, you yeah, got yeah, yeah. the, I saw that photo on my phone. Okay, let's go do it. And and then you just did it on Father's Day, which is fabulous. Boy, that yeah. is so special to do it with your dad on Father's Day. So yeah, talk about the decision and then just the feeling just a few months ago when you actually accomplished that dream. Yeah. So yeah, like I said, in 2020, I have a bunch of photos from um from my original Denali trip and I was looking back and I just saw one and I was like oh my gosh that looks like that's something <laughs> I do again um and then I started bugging my parents but with COVID um with COVID we weren't uh they, they completely closed the mountain so right. we couldn't go back um but then this past climbing season they opened it again so in June, um, at the very beginning of June, uh, me and my dad went back with a team of nine, nine other um, individuals. We didn't go guided this time, um, just so we'd have more, we wouldn't have the um, constraint of, oh, the guys have to get back to guide the next party. We would have yeah. um, as much time as our resources allowed. So that's, that's when we, we went back and I definitely wouldn't have, we wouldn't have been able to summit without the first trip. Um, just all the everything I learned from the first trip played into into the second trip and into our success. Um, all like just even being able to envision every day of what we had to do um, and knowing the mountain, knowing what we were getting ourselves into, it all um, it all helped so much. And especially actually when me and my dad had to split from our team um, at uh, fourteen thousand camp, which is uh, high base camp that is uh, two camps away from the summit. So there, it was due to just a difference in physical ability on the team mm -hmm. and uh, what people were comfortable with ascending in. Uh, and yeah, just a variety of factors. And what ended up happening is no one except for me and my dad wanted to continue up the mountain. Mm. And that was definitely, that was one of the hardest decisions I've ever made in my life. Um, no question, because ascending with only two people is, is kind of dangerous. I mean, you want like three people on the team, usually mm. on a rope team. So then if one person falls off the mountain, then you have two people to catch them. But if you only have one other person, then you only have one other person to catch you. And if, if they don't, then you're both going down the mountain. So that was especially scary with me and my dad because our weights are so different. Right. Um, so if he falls, then then it's yeah. my job to catch him, which is a lot harder for me because I am a lot smaller than him. So, so yeah. So it was definitely it was definitely a moment of that could almost be a crucible moment as well. Um, trying to decide uh, whether we are going to continue up, um, even though even though the circumstances. We're, diff we're more challenging or if we're going to stay with the rest of the team. And I ended up, I was, def I had to ask myself like question if I was ready to really lead me and my dad up the mountain because uh, my dad and I had been mountaineering 
the, all, through all the high points together. We were climbing partners, but I'm more like technically savvy with the ropes and knots and mm-hmm. setting up the tent and everything. That's um, I'm just better at that. So I usually go first on the rope team to clip into protection, uh, to do all of that. So, and the most technical part of the mountain is right above that camp. Um, so that's when it gets mm-hmm. really dangerous. You go on this ridge that if you one misstep and you're falling off the mountain. So I definitely, I had to ask myself if I was ready to like take our lives in in my hands basically and be able to do that. And I, I decided I could, but I definitely wouldn't have been able to say that if I hadn't been on the mountain beforehand um, and climbed that, that same route. So, um, so I mean, the decision paid off. Uh, We made, we made it up. We summited, um, Uh, a few days, like five days after that. So I was, I was happy with the decision, but it wasn't an easy one. I want to talk about some of the, um, you've got several, five points actually that you sent us about, you know, advice for listeners in regards to resilience and coming back from failure. And I'm reading these and I got to say my jaw dropped at how profound (laughs) these all were. It's like, Wow, you know, so it's the kind of stuff that could have gone in this book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, coming out in October. Yeah, it's like, oops. Oh well. Imagine <laughs> segment on the last page. Scroll it in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Life's a journey, but um, we can always learn. So, I mean, here's the first one: failure is inevitable in life. How you react to failure is what matters. So let's go through that. I mean, I mean, that's so. Failure is inevitable. We are going to fail. We're not going to win every race, win every match, climb every mountain at the first attempt. We're going to fail. So talk about why how you react to failure is is so important. Like you said, any every athlete is going to fail, no matter how no matter how good they are. And if like if someone just quit after the first failure, if they're like, oh that that defines me. That's uh, I'm not good at this sport or at this job or at this role, then you really never reach your full potential in that because um, just like quitting after one failure, failure is going to happen no matter how good or bad you are. And I think, I mean, I definitely learned the most um, when I failed. Uh, that's when I reflect the most on it. Like when I win, I'm just like, okay, good job, well done. But when I fail at something, that's really when I look at what I'm doing more closely and can improve, uh, improve based upon those, those reflections. So I'd say, yeah, failure is a great learning tool. And I think one of the things you've said and not so many words, and I've heard a lot of elite athletes talk about this is, you know, there's a difference between success and significance. Like if you're so focused on, it's all about the record. So for Roger Federer, 20 grand slams for folks in the Olympics about gold medals, and, you know, if you're a swimmer, you could miss out on a gold medal by hundreds of a second, you know, and it's like, and you've quote unquote failed in the sense if your goal was to get a gold medal. But so when you tie your whole identity to a specific goal, like whether it's climbing 50 peaks or, and then, you know, from now the Explorers Grand Slams, I mean, hopefully you'll do all of that, but you'll probably have more setbacks in life. So does that make sense? Like just doing it for the love of doing it and and not saying my identity as a good or bad person is not tied to climbing 50 peaks, right? You're, I'm assuming, at least I'm assuming your parents would agree that you're a good, worthwhile person, whether you climb 50 peaks or not, 
right? Their love for you, your friends' love for you doesn't depend on climbing peaks or success. And your your own self-worth doesn't depend on your achievement. Does that make sense, kind of where I'm going with this separating identity from accomplishments? Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I always tell myself when I race, I'm like, anyone anyone who really cares about you isn't going to it isn't going to change their perspective and how they view you you place first in the race last in the race um whatever happens everyone who who is truly there for you is going to be there for you no matter what and i feel like failure like if you're not failing at times you're probably not pushing yourself enough you're probably going after goals that that are too are too easy for you and could be achieving so much more if you just set set that fear of failure aside and and yeah go for it even if even if you do fail it's not always it's not going to set you back it's not going to change who you are profoundly said okay so number 2 failure is an opportunity for exponential growth you didn't come this far to only come this far what changes are needed in your life to move forward I mean, that's, you know, it sounds a bit like the first climb of Denali at age 13. Failure is an opportunity for exponential growth. Talk about what that means for you. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, on Denali, that was really a really great place to see that is, I, yeah, I didn't, I failed the first time, but because of that, I was able to learn so much, um, not only about myself as a mountaineer, but just about the sport in general how to climb this um, this 20,000 foot mountain, what that takes, um, how to use crampons, ice axes, and and how to survive for 20 days on a glacier. I mean, that I grew so much as a person and as a mountaineer on that mountain, um, despite my failure. And I mean, that's, that's could be said for any for any activity, you can you can learn always learn no matter if you fail or succeed. So well said. So here's number three. The only way to redefine your perceived limits is to test them. And that requires leaving your comfort zone. So the only way to redefine your perceived limits is to test them. Boy, a lot of us, really, we don't want to test our limits. But but you do. So talk about why that's important is, you know, testing your perceived limits. Yeah, I feel like the key like to self-discovery really is testing your limits. Like you'll never know how much you can truly give until you, you find where like that point where you feel like you can't give anymore. And I know, I know for me, that's, that's one of the main reasons I mountain climb is because I, that's something that pushes me to, to the breaking point. And then I'm able to try to go past that. Um, and that's that's really fulfilling to me, and I, that's definitely a way that I think anyone could be fulfilled um, is is that self discovery. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of times people really limit themselves, um, like mentally, like they're like, oh, they think that this is their limit, and then they just have that in their mind. But uh, but testing it and trying to go after that, trying to just step back, step out of your own mind, and try to not limit yourself mentally and just see what you can actually do. Um, that's, that's definitely something that, that I find like, I I'm still trying to do it. I still fail sometimes. I'm still like, Oh no, I can't do that. But, but trying not to ever say that is something that, 
that I'm working on. And it's for sure a big, a big challenge, but a good step. I feel like that's closely linked to number four, because number four talks about failure is part of the journey, not an end destination. Build resiliency through small failures. Love that phrase. So when a big one arrives, and it will, you have a deep well of resiliency and grip within yourself. So you get back up and keep climbing. I almost feel like you're not the reason you climbed all 50 peaks is you're not afraid to fail. You know, you don't like it, but you, you're not afraid to test your limits. You know, you fail and then, okay, great, then I'm going to learn from it. Your identity as a human being is not tied up in whether you climb Mount you know, Denali or not, or even moving forward, uh, the Explorer's Grand Slam, highest mountains of seven continents, skiing the last degree in the North and South Pole, hopefully you'll achieve those. But whether you do or not, your identity isn't wrapped up in that. It's more, you just want to test yourself. You, The joy of being there, of nature. The reason people don't try, I believe, is because their identity is wrapped up in the result. If I lose the race, I'm a bad person. I'm sure you have friends in school where it's like, gosh, you know, I didn't get all A's. I didn't get a 5.0 GPA. All I got was 4.8 or 3.5 or 3.8 or 2.8 or whatever it is. It's like, you know, I'm a bad person if I don't achieve X. And I'm sure you know people like that. And high school's tough. So talk about... I mean, the small failures and just, I guess we've talked about it before, but you're not afraid to fail. I mean, that's, and a lot of people are. So talk about that and the whole small failures concept. Yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly when I like realized that because it's definitely not, it's definitely a lesson you have to learn is to accept failure. Like, yeah, I mean, no one, it's never a good feeling to fail. No one likes it. And that's, I mean, that's a good thing too, because, um, because then you, go after success with all that you have. And um, I think that only time you truly fail is when you don't give your all to something. Um, if you, mm. if I was to turn around at day seven on Denali, then, um, then that would have been a failure because I hadn't, I hadn't truly tried. I hadn't truly given what I could to it, but, but yeah, I mean, if you are doing your best, if you're doing everything you can and you fail quote unquote to meet what you want to do I mean it's not it's not truly a failure because you've I mean you've done everything you can and then you can learn from that you can find ways to make yourself better um, through that failure absolutely profound stuff and um, that last one determination achieves greatness that is a profound comment. Determination achieves greatness. That could be title of a book. I mean, that's that's incredible. What what do you mean by that? I mean, that's that's a staggering thing to say. Yeah, I I mean, me personally, I feel like there's part of part of what I do is just a gift. Um, and I've I've been raised Christian, so I believe it's a gift from God. But um, and I that's definitely one of my driving factors is that I've I've been given this gift and it's definitely a unique one. <laughs> There's not a, not a lot of people who love to mountain climb and who are gifted at it. So, um, so I, I don't want to waste that. I, I think I was given that for a reason, but, um, sometimes like my running, I was definitely gifted, gifted in running, but not, not amazingly. So mm-hmm. when I first started running, I, I think there was about like seven of us on the team. And I mean, there was a girl that was faster than me. I was like 
two, like, and that's a team of seven. Like I wasn't anything outstanding, but, but through like hard work, through determination, I mean, I, I've been running like since I was in first grade um, for, I mean, if I could add up all the hours, oh my gosh, I don't know how, how much of my life I've spent running and that determination doing that has, I mean, it's paid off so many times, so many times. And that, I mean, that's how I'm successful at running. It is, it's almost not so much the gift and more just how you use it, your determination to succeed. So Mm. that's, yeah, that's kind of what I meant by that. That sound you just heard was the captain turning on the fasten seatbelt signs uh, to prepare us for landing. But We've still got some service items to do with the flight attendants because I've got some some points I want to make out of the, these five points that we just went through because we are in the midst of a series on harnessing resilience. And something struck me, Lucy, as I was going through these points, the harnessing of resilience in your points comes after, and bear with me a little bit here, comes after the is in your statements. Example, failure is inevitable in life. Resilience comes from recognizing the inevitable nature of hitting a crucible and being able to go on. Second point, failure is an opportunity. After the is comes the noun opportunity. Finding opportunity in those moments is resilience. That's resilience writ big. The only way to redefine your perceived limits is to test them. Resilience is about testing yourself, is about pushing through. Failure is a part of the journey. After the is comes the phrase, part of the journey. Resilience is part of your journey. And then the last point doesn't have is in it, but I'm going to edit you, sorry. And I'm going to say that uh, you say determination achieves greatness. I'm going to say resilience is determination that achieves greatness. Manifesting resilience is a form of determination. And when you do that, that sets you on a path to greatness. So I think what you've done here is not only mapped out a way for all of us to move beyond our crucibles to overcome our failures, but also to to harness resilience as we're doing that. It's a it's a, it's a fantastic sort of sort of three pronged way of working things. Um, before I let Warwick ask you the last question, I would be remiss in my I have like one duty as the co-host, and that's to make sure the guest gets to talk about how listeners can find out more about them. So I'd be remiss if I did not say, Lucy, how can guests find out more about Lucy Westlake and your journeys and and adventures? Yeah, so I'm definitely, um, I use Instagram a lot. I am, I'm, my parents wish I was a Facebook person. (laughs) I'm not very, I cannot figure out Facebook. So a lot of what I what I do mountain climbing, um, just like up to date, um, just updates on my journey, um, is through my Instagram, which is lucy.westlake.22. Um, and then for, for kind of just a, a lot of, basically everything is on my website, um, which is lucywestlake.com. And that has a lot of links to what I've done in the past with uh, my world record and what I'm helping to do with water step and, um, and all of basically anything you want to learn is through my website and then updates um, like constant updates are through my Instagram. 
Fantastic. Warwick, what's the last question you want to leave Lucy with? I know there's probably several floating around. Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm just sort of uh, amazed. I don't want to say in awe, but kind of, of just what you've done, Lucy, and more than just what you've done, what you've learned about failure and, and resilience, which the series is on resilience, is not letting that failure of uh, climbing Denali define you. I think even your success at climbing Denali just a few months ago also doesn't define you. You achieved your goal, but you're probably obviously as a person of faith, which I am too, you're probably defined as everybody is, I believe, a child of God, that you you love climbing, you love challenging yourself. You've learned so much about failure, not letting failure define you and how to overcome setbacks and uh, test yourself. And I think so many people just live, I think of a quote by Thoreau, uh, people who live lives of quiet desperation. And part of that is because of not trying. If you don't try, that is failing, as you rightly put it. Giving it your all, that's not failure. So I love how you define failure. I also love how you define resilience. I mean, if you had to really summarize your philosophy of maybe life or certainly your philosophy of resilience, if you had to encapsulate that all, how would you how, how would you sort of encapsulate just what it means to be resilient? Oh, I'd just say saying yes to to a lot of things. Um, like when my mom asked me, do you want to go out west? Do you want to climb these mountains? Like, yes. <laughs> um, do you have more to give when you're in the middle of climbing and you feel like you can't? Like, yes, I do. Um, I, I like going through life with the with a yes mindset. And there's some things that you don't want to say yes to. But, but really just like, yeah, just going through life like that, always willing to try to try something new to put yourself out there. That's that's how I've found the most success and the most fulfillment in my life. And I mean, it's worked out so far and I'm going to keep trying it. So, <laughs> Well, not coincidentally, listener, the captain has said yes to landing the plane and we are on the ground, or shall I say, even though it's probably not safe to land planes on mountains, we're at the peak. Uh, we, have, we have finished our ascent. This is the fourth part of our series on resilience, on harnessing resilience. Lucy Westlake has been our guest today. Next week, you're going to hear from uh, a guest we believe is going to put a little bow on the package of what we've been talking about the last four weeks. And that is Craig Dowden, who is a researcher who studies resilience. So he's going to take both his best research and also we'll talk about work and I will talk about some of the things that we've learned from guests like Lucy about how to manifest and harness resilience. And we're going to put a little bow on the package uh, in part five next week. So we will see you then. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.